by Philly is flyer.com. This is getting bullied and I am Mark Giannone, your fearless leader as we are fired up coming off of the Flyers home opener 8-2 victory over those Washington Capitals who win the regular season championship seems like every year and I am joined this week as I will be for the foreseeable future by Dan Silver of Philly is Flyer. Dan what is up buddy? Mark. Everything is, uh, well, no, actually, most things are great, man. The Flyers with a huge victory. It's the first time they've scored uh, five uh, goals back-to-back in, like, four years or something like that. I looked it up, 2013-2014. So a great game Saturday night, but all is not rosy in Flyers land. We've got some uh, Dave Hackstall stuff to talk about, some Travis Mm. Sanheim. But I'm doing great, man. I'm thrilled we're going to be doing this every week for the Flyers fans out there. Uh, bringing them the best getting bullied podcast in conjunction with Philly as Flyers. It's going to be a great year, man. I'm excited. I'm the only up. thing, the only thing that gets me more fired up, um, and it's going to be great, by the way. Me and you banging this out every week. We're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna light up the airwaves, as they say. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the only thing that gets me more fired up, um than a Flyers victory is when Dave Haxtell screws up and costs a team points in a game that, as you said before we came on here, you never thought for a second they were going to win that game in Nashville. Now, the way I was looking at the game against Nashville was Nashville, clearly a very good hockey team. They got some injuries. Ryan Ellis is out. Um, and Roman Yossi was out for the game against the Flyers. But they're 0-2. They got their home opener. I just it was hard for me to imagine we were going to beat them. So they go up three, nothing the flyers with a miraculous five unanswered goals against the Western conference champions. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself the whole way we are going to find a way to lose this game. I just didn't know how I didn't know it was going to be one of the strangest losses that I've ever seen. So then Philip Forsberg scores that unbelievable top shelf goal to bring it to five, four. Now I'm basically like, yeah, we're definitely losing this game. <laughs> then, with two and a half minutes left, two of the, if not the, two most maligned flyers, first Dale Weiss literally hogties a Nashville defenseman in our, in our offensive zone. The ref's arm goes up. He's got one penalty coming up. Now we go back to the flyer zone, and Andrew McDonald trips a Nashville forward, and the other ref calls a penalty. So we've got a situation where it's a five-on-three, Nashville obviously scores, and then genius Dave Haxtell decides that it might have been offside. Now, I don't know if he was aware of, I mean, obviously he was, but the fact that if you challenge an offside this year and you get it wrong, it's another penalty against you. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, it's hard to imagine that the it was worth taking the risk because there couldn't have been anything conclusive to prove that it was offside because as we saw from the replay it was clearly onside so Dave Haxtell challenges it of course we lose the challenge so now it's 5-5 with what a a minute and 20 seconds left they've got another five on three we kill off the five on three but they score on the five on four with 30 seconds left and we lose six to five so I mean full disclosure to the people listening out there but I did in fact fall asleep before uh, everything went down, thinking, foolishly, of course, that the Flyers were going to win this game. And they didn't. And I don't know who, I mean, I guess everyone's obviously going to blame the head coach more, but you can't not blame also the video coach of the team whose job it literally is to consult the 
head coach on whether or not we should challenge what just happened on the ice. Here's the thing. Whether or not they thought it was offsides is irrelevant. The bigger issue here is that they chose to make such a risky call in a game where their team is kind of firing on all cylinders offensively from the second period on, and a game that is now becoming a struggle because they're down by a goal, or they're up only by one goal. So, I, it's to me, the bigger issue is the fact that in that situation, with them already down a man, they decided now's a good time to make this huge risky call. I, like, they couldn't, and everyone keeps saying, because it's true, the, the coaches get a di- they get different camera views than the people at home. But unless you had, like, some sort of technology where the, the screen lights up when the play's off sides, there's no way they could have seen it definitively enough to make the call to challenge that play in that situation because they were, like... The, the risk doesn't outweigh the, outweigh the reward because you're still going to be down another man if you get it wrong. And obviously, Nashville is fired up. Their fans are behind them a thousand percent like they were the entire game. So to give them more fuel when your team is obviously back on the ropes and you're going to put your team down another man, it was the stupidest thing that could have happened. It is literally the dumbest possible way for that game to have, be, to have been lost. And part of it's on the video coach, but mostly it's on the head coach because he has to be the one that says, no, 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 no. We're not challenging this play with all that has just went on up to this point and what could potentially happen if we do get it wrong. So, again, it's on the coach who, once again, makes another foolish decision. This one somehow, oddly enough, was not lineup related, but he has also messed up there so far this year. We'll get we to those get soon. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lineup will be talked about. That's not going to get ignored, Dave Haxtell. You're, you're getting thrown under the bus for that. In fact, I'm throwing you under the bus, and I'm nailing you to the concrete so I know you can't get up, and I'm backing the bus back over you. But the fly, like, it was such an exciting game. Because of how they started the third period or the first period, you're you're down three goals and you're just like you're watching. You're just like, oh my god, there's no way that they're actually this bad. And then they come up with five straight, and you're like, yes, it is. It was the most roller. It was the biggest roller coaster ride I have been on in recent memory. And of course, we were let down at the end by our fearless leader of a head coach who didn't really seem like he was that distraught that he lost the game for the team afterwards. No, I mean, and look, I, again, you, you made a good point. We don't know what the conversation was between Dave Haxtell and the whoever's in charge of telling him to challenge it, right? Um, what they have to get the iPads behind the bench, so maybe it was just him looking at it. I don't know. But if listen, if somebody said to Dave Haxtell, this was offside, you have to challenge it, then A, I guess we can't completely blame Dave Haxel, and B, that person should be fired. But, you know, it's, 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 hard to de- it's hard to definitively know what led to that challenge. But either way, yeah, I felt that Haxel was a little bit um, sort of like blasé about it after, uh, after the game and sort of, you know, if that was Andy Reid, for example, he would have said, I'm going to look in the mirror. This one's on me. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Dave Haxtell didn't say anything like that. And, um, you know, I Dave Haxtell does not strike me as a very humble person who likes admitting mistakes. And, uh, you know, I think um, I think we've come to learn that about him. Well, he's he makes enough mistakes to where you would think he would be pretty. Maybe he's just numb to it at this point. Maybe that's why he's makes so many mistakes. He's just like, ah, you know what? It is what it is. I'll I'll make another one next week that'll make everyone more mad <laughs> uh, uh, yeah that's all you could do is just uh, exactly I don't know what else to say I'm gonna well I'm gonna ask you what you say about this Travis Sanheim has been oh. a fringe starter for this team since pretty much the season started we're seeing a lot more Brandon Manning than 
than I think we thought we were going to see. And it doesn't seem like he's going to, or Sanheim, that is, <clears throat> doesn't seem like he's going to be playing uh, Tuesday night against the Panthers back at home. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, I don't know, I don't know what in the world they're doing with Travis Sanheim. You know, before the season started, I think, or maybe it was right around the first game, Dave Isaac with the uh, the Courier Journal or the Courier Post or whatever had a uh, Post, yes yeah the Courier Post had a comment from Hextall basically where Hextall said we are not going to have these rookies make the team to sit. So he says that the first game, the season opener, Sanheim is out of the lineup for Brandon Manning, who's a somewhat of a journeyman defenseman at this point. Um, he's clearly not one of their young up and coming prospects. He's got one year left on his contract. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of that contract. There's really no reason that he should be playing over Sandheim. So, okay. So Manning's playing in game one on the road. Maybe you could justify that by saying, okay, you know, Manning's been with this team for a couple years. He deserves to be in a lineup opening night. Okay. I still don't agree with it. Whatever. Sandheim then plays the next two games. And it seems like, oh, yep, that was it. Manning was just playing that first game. Now Sanheim's back in the lineup. He's here to stay. Then we get to the home opener. By the way, Sam Karchitti, who also covers the Flyers um, Inquirer, was quoted, quoted Travis Sanheim as talking about how excited he was to play in the home opener against Washington, the matchup with Ovechkin. He was flying his parents in for the game, for oh. the home opener. And then it oh. breaks. Yeah, and then it breaks that he's not playing. So here's my first question: Does Dave Haxtell communicate with his players? Like <laughs> ha Travis said, I was flying his parents in to watch him play the home opener, and he's not even in the lineup. Did like, you see the look on his face when they introduced oh, yeah. him in the tunnel? I, I I tweeted out a photo of him looking like Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones, like he wanted to murder everyone. Oh, it was... Man. So, Sanheim's not in the lineup for that game. And I saw some people justifying that in the same way as the Anaheim one, right? Okay, it's the home opener. Brandon Manning's done a lot for this franchise. Well, what? what okay, whatever. Anyway, he's, he's going to be playing tonight. So, okay, fine. We win the game big. The team played fantastically. Now, let's get Sanheim back in the lineup because, as Ron Hextall said, we don't want to have rookies sitting in the press box. Well, today at practice, judging by what the reporters were saying, Travis Sanheim is not going to be playing tomorrow night in Florida. Now, obviously, we're projecting that based on what these guys have said. Maybe it's not the case, but it, it certainly appears based on past practice and what they've done in practice that it is the case that Sanheim's not in the lineup tomorrow. So I'm waiting for Dave Isaac to ask Ron Hextall if he has, you know, the opportunity, if he's allowed interviews with him. What is going on? We're now six games into the season. Travis Sanheim has played in 50% of them. And what's what's up with this rookies not sitting in the press box? So, you know, I, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. I mean, it, it's baffling to me that Travis Sanheim would not be starting tomorrow night against Florida. What I think about Dave Haxtell is this. I think that he he almost manages this lineup as if it were like a fantasy football lineup. And he just kind of like, he kind of like puts it together on like a game-by-game -game basis. Kind of like you do in fantasy football. Like a guy has a good week the week before, so you put him in your lineup, you start him. And I think that's what he does with this team. Like, the team played well with Brandon Manning. They pretty much shut down one of the top scoring teams in the league with Brandon Manning in the lineup on Saturday. So he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to just play the same lineup as I did then, and we should win again. Well, if it worked like that, then you would probably just be undefeated, but it doesn't work like that. Like, there was so much more going on in that game that I don't think it was, I don't think Brandon Manning had that huge of an impact on it. But Maybe here's another way they're looking at it. And we talked about this last week that maybe Hexall is, um, you know, coming down. Maybe he's kind of working the, the strings a little bit on, on the puppet on what 
some decisions are being made in the lineup. Maybe this is a move that we that they're saying like, hey, Brandon Manning's just taking up space. So let's put him out there, play him in a couple games, hope he plays well, and maybe we can move him for something to free up that spot. Could be. I don't think that's something they would do, but I don't know. Maybe that's because <clears throat> then they open up that spot, Sanheim can play, and Manning is out of their lives. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that has not been something that they've done in the past, right? To me, I haven't seen them playing guys just because they're going to move them. Um, you know, they uh, Cousins, I don't think he played it. I mean, he played some last year, but he, he they traded him the offseason. It doesn't, you know, I don't remember what was going on with Mark Streit, how much he was in the lineup before they traded him. Uh, by the way, he got cut by uh, the Canadians yes, today. But... Um, I, I don't know. Here's what I'll say, though. I mean, two things about it. One, based on what Hextall said before the season, D- uh, Dave Hextall is almost like an insubordination of what his GM said. Now, obviously, that's something Hextall said to the media. He might be telling Hextall different things. But I truly don't think that Ron Hextall wants Travis Sanheim sitting in the press box every night. So, so one of two things is going to happen, in my opinion. Either Travis Sanheim is going to get into the lineup and play the majority of the games, or they're going to send Travis Sanheim back down to the Phantoms, and someone like Rich Brennan or our DJ Brennan is going to come up um, and uh, and sit as the seventh defenseman while Manning is in the lineup. Because I don't think that Ron Hextall is going to let Travis Sanheim just uh, waste away in the press box for the Flyers. So one of those two things is going to happen, and I, I hope it's Travis Sanheim in the lineup every night or at least eight out of 10 games. But uh, if it's not, I think he's going to get sent back down. How about the, um, the reaction of the Flyers faithful at the home opener with the introduction of one uh, Andrew McDonald, you know, that was, I had, you know, I was, I was firing out some tweets that night. I, I was videotaping the intro for Hackstall because I was expecting a bunch of boos and you kind of make out some boos. Andrew McDonald got like roundly booed. You could hear it on TV when he was introduced. And uh, I don't, you know what? Go ahead. Flyers fans pay to go to the game. I saw some fans on Twitter sort of upset slash embarrassed that we'd, you know, how dare us boo one of our players, the home opener. I, the fans can boo whoever they want. They paid money to go to the game. Andrew McDonald's a big boy. He's making $5 million a month, or five, yeah, right, $5 million a year. Um, he can he can handle it. I Listen, I don't love us hearing us boo our own players, but it, it really does go to show you. A lot of times I feel like maybe it's just, you know, 500 Flyers fans on Twitter who hate Andrew McDonald. Uh, and we just sort of are, all of us are tweeting back and forth about it. But the, the introduction and the booing that McDonald got at that home opener show that no, it's a lot more widespread. Most Flyers fans don't like Andrew McDonald. Well, I, if you hear, first of all, the people that, uh, there's always those people, every time fans do something outside of the norm, you got the, the soft fans, I like to say, that just come out and say, hey, he's our guy, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. Well, no, you should, because that's what being a fan is all about. Being a fan is you show your emotions good and bad. And the Flyers fans are not dumb. This is a smart fan base, and we know when a guy is a good player, and we know when a guy is a bad player. And I truly believe that Philadelphia fans as a whole, not just Flyers fans, have weakened a great deal. Now, I'm not saying we should go back out there and start throwing shit on the ice or on the field or on the court or anything like that, but... That was great that the fans showed up and they said, you know what, we don't like this guy. We know he's making too much money. We know he's getting too much playing time, and he's not living up to any of it. So we're going to show you how we feel. And that is exactly what you're supposed to do as a consumer of any product. If you don't like it, you express your discontent for it. You don't just sit there 
and with, you know, your hands tied behind your back and just keep letting the organization whip you and whip you and whip you. No, they showed up, those fans that were there, and they said to Ron Hextall, they said to Dave Hextall, and whoever else was listening that we don't like this guy. We know he isn't good, and we want you to do something about it because we're tired of it. And every time he steps on the ice, every time he does something bad, we're going to let you know on Twitter, which they don't pay attention to. But more importantly, we're going to let you know at every home game this guy is a part of that he does not belong on this team. And one way or another, you have to figure out a way to get rid of him. Can I just say that if you were running for, like, uh, president of something, and your job was to talk about Andrew McDonald. I would nominate you based on that rant. That was a very that was a great rant. It was Thank coherent. You. There were no f bombs. You made perfect sense. Flyers fans are consumers. They are paying to go see a product, and if they don't approve of a part of that product, they're allowed to express their opinions. And their opinions clearly are they don't like Andrew McDonald. I just I never liked the idea of. I see it on Twitter a lot. It's not just with the Flyers. It's it's with all teams in all sports that you have this section, this part of fan bases that believe that because a player is wearing the jersey of the team that you root for, that you have to blindly follow the player, and that's just not the case. Me, personally, how I look at it, you are a fan of the team. You are a fan of the jersey. The person in it is irrelevant. That yes, they are the ones that go out there and make the plays, win the games, and lose the games, but ultimately, they are all replaceable. There is no player, there is very select few in sports that are irreplaceable, but there is not a player on the Flyers, I almost said in Philadelphia, but there's a pretty damn good quarterback we couldn't replace, but there is definitely not a player on the Flyers that is irreplaceable. So, if any of them play bad, then they all deserve to get booed. If they play bad as a whole, they deserve to get booed because realistically, we are Flyers fans. We are not Claude Giroux fans or Andrew McDonald fans. We are fans of the team, and if we can't win with them, then let's find somebody we can win with. I thought your first rant was a little better. That one was still alright, but, you know. (laughs) That's alright. It's alright. It's still early in the season. There's plenty of time left for something. Something worse is going to happen than what has happened this past week. And oh yeah, oh for sure. Hey, listen, they had a phenomenal game on on Saturday night. Should we talk about the the, the Saturday night game? Yeah, we should because you know after the Nashville game, I was fuming and I'm like, I can't wait to get on this podcast and it's it's going to be all <laughs> negative. I'm going to freak out. It's going to be great. Oh, we and love these. That's what we're sat- from Philadelphia. We love. It's these. amazing. We're now a little past 22 minutes into this thing, and we are just now mentioning the best game they have played probably since they had the 10-game winning streak on Saturday against the Capitals, who, if the season didn't have playoffs, the Capitals probably would have like five Stanley Cups in the last 10 years because they are a damn good Uh, regular season team, but much like the baseball team in Washington, they can't do shit in the playoffs. So the Flyers took out a damn good team, and they nullified a damn good scorer in Alex Ovechkin. So when you're watching it, um, in between, like, you know, jumping up and down with excitement, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good we had four days to uh, get over that Nashville game because I think all Flyers fans were just so angry in the in the days following that. And then then we find out Travis Sanheim's not playing, and it's like, oh, my God. But the great thing is that, as you mentioned, these players aren't you know looking at the fans being upset on Twitter. And, and the Flyers went out, and you know what's incredible? is that There were two players who have been on the Flyers now for four years who I thought both of them played their best ever game in a flyer uniform. And those two guys were Jake Borchek and Scott Lawton. Mm-hmm. Jake Borchek was unbelievable on Saturday. He was all over the ice, setting up plays, driving the net, making incredible passes. Um, you know, the setup he had on the, the Wayne Simmons goal was absolutely incredible. You watch that in slow motion and, and uh, basically, he had the rookie Caps D-man corkscrewed into the ice on that play. Um, the Flyers came out, and, and they played fantastic. I mean, 
Robert Hay was so good in that game. He made every little play well, great passes. It was just a phenomenal team effort. I mean, the first line scored four goals. The second line scored two goals. The fourth line scored two goals. The Nolan Patrick line generated some offense. They've been struggling a little bit, but uh, they certainly could have had a few goals in the game. Um, it was it was just a total team effort. And, uh, you know, Brian Elliott was good. Look, the Caps are probably not going to be as good this year as they were last year and the year before. They had some salary issues. They did lose some of their better players. Uh, Matt Niskanen was out with an injury. Um, and, uh, you know, Ovechkin is scorching hot to begin the season. What did he get? Nine goals going into that game. He scored four goals in their first game and three goals in their second game. He's a guy, though, you watch him, and a lot of his goals have been coming on the power play the last few years. He only had, like, 16 minutes of ice time against the Flyers. He's a guy where if you stay out of the penalty box, you're, you're really mitigating the chances that Ovechkin, Ovechkin has to, uh, to bury you. And the Flyers did absolutely everything right on Saturday night. It was, it was a phenomenal game, and they deserve a ton of credit for that. They buried the Capitals. They, uh, you know, as I said, it's the first time in, like, four years that they've scored five goals in back-to-back games. There's a lot of really good things clicking for the Flyers right now. And that first line, I mean, Couturier had two goals, Drew had two goals. The first line is really humming along, and uh, having Drew on the wing is probably going to extend his longevity in the league. There's just there's a ton of great things happening right now with the Flyers. And unfortunately, uh, some of those things are still overshadowed by the bad decisions that our head coach is making. And the fact that it's still hard for me to know if, if this guy is going to be our head coach in two years' time because he's, uh, I don't know, he just, I don't think he's a great coach. Uh, but the team, the team has been, gotten off to a really good start this year. Well, I don't think he, I, I think there's a good chance he's not the coach in one season if he keeps up the stuff he's doing. But you're right. And, there's going to come a time this season if they do keep up the way they've been playing. Um, right now they're three and two, which is I think better than a lot of people expected. But I think if they keep playing the way they are, eventually the good play of the team is going to start to overshadow what the coach is doing and the dumb stuff he's doing. Like if if the Sanheim thing doesn't get worked out and he's just which I. I think it's going to eventually, like probably within the next week or two, we're going to know exactly what they're going to do with Travis Sanheim, whether they're going to play him or send him down. But I think if the team can keep up doing the things they're doing correctly, eventually the fans are just going to be like, okay, we just, it's kind of like Eagles fans with Doug Peterson. Like, all right, the team's playing good, so we just have to accept the fact that we have a stew head coach, and hopefully the team can play above their head coach. My concern, and again, the first line was tremendous on Saturday. Ten go- or ten points between the first line and Drew with four points. So I just hope they could keep that up. I mean, they've kind of hit their stride. They started off a little bit slow, but we're starting to see them really mesh as a line, and they're starting to do the things you expect out of your top line um, in this league. And I... I was going back and forth with the guy on Twitter last week about how I was very underwhelmed by the first line. And then they come out and just completely make a fool out of me. And I'm sure a lot of other people, because I'm on Twitter, I see what people are saying about the first line and how underwhelmed everybody is. But they come out and do that. But now it's about, okay, you've done it. You've shown us what you can do. And we don't expect 10 points from the line game in and game out. But we expect consistent production, and that's something that really the three these three players haven't really been able to do the last couple seasons. Now, obviously not as a whole. This is the first year that they played together the way that they are. But Giroux, we saw last year. Voracek, we saw last year. Very inconsistent. They would have a couple of good games, and then they would go away. They both had down seasons. Their numbers weren't as good as we expected them to be. And we all came into this season fully expecting, well, not expecting, but pretty much demanding that those two in particular step up their game. So far, they have. Voracek, I mean, he's he, he's setting people up. He's getting point production in the assist column. 
And Drew, you know, he's just kind of being Drew. But as of right now, my biggest concern with the first line is can they sustain this for a long period of time? Or is this just a small window that they're going to get hot for a little bit and then in a week or two, they're going to be struggling and we're going to be ripping our hair out again. Like, what are we going to do with these three guys? Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that because they're those three guys are so talented that I, I don't think they're going to go through prolonged slumps. And, you know, they basically have three play drivers on that line. Um, I, I don't I don't think you have to worry about it. Here's the here's the additional good news. Even if that line is slumping, you've got three other lines that are clearly all capable of creating offense. Uh, you know, you got to figure that Nolan Patrick and Travis Konechny will get it going. The uh, the second line's been really good with Wheel, Philpula, and Simmons. So even if that first line struggles a little bit, I think you've got uh, the other lines can pick them up. Well, I think um, that fourth line is great. As yeah. far as fourth lines go, because usually you stash your, your Matt Reed-type players on a fourth line, but they have a lot of talent, and they're going up against uh, – the opposing fourth lines where it's just kind of like the bottom barrel of talent on opposing teams. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kevin Fortier, one of our Philly as uh, Philly flyer, uh, Philly's flyer uh, columnist wrote a really good piece on Scott law that people should go check out. Yes. Um, and uh, he's like, he's like this incredible reclamation success story. A guy that, uh, you know, made the Flyers, played a couple games um, the year they drafted him as an 18-year-old and then sort of up and back. He was back to the, the junior leagues um, and then back up to the Flyers. And for a while, it looked like he wasn't going to make it as a center. He was uh, better as a winger. Uh, then kind of had a revelation last year when they sent him back down to the AHL and they told him, hey, we don't want you to concentrate on scoring. Uh for the Phantoms. We want you to concentrate on playing good defensive hockey because we see you as, you know, our potential fourth line center next year. And it sort of gave this 18 year old uh, drafted player who since that point that he'd been drafted kind of like, it was almost like having an identity crisis, right? He didn't know exactly what he was supposed to be doing Is he, he scored a bunch of points, um, you know, in the OHL is, is he a, is he a scorer? Is he a defensive center? What is he? And I think when, Hextall basically said to him last year, you're going to go down there, you're going to concentrate on being a defensive center, and you've got a path to being our fourth-line center next year. Everything kind of came into focus for Scott Lawton. And we saw it last year with the Phantoms, and we've seen it carry over into this season. It helps that Taylor Lear, who he was playing with most of last year, with the Phantoms is on his line. But I think you're, you're finally seeing Scott Lawton figuring out his identity as an NHL player. And it's, it's great to see. I mean, he's a first round pick, so it clearly has talent and now he's got a role. So I think, uh, I think we should be really excited about Scott Lawton. Yeah. I mean, it speaks volumes to the flyers, like talent development that they saw this guy that was just kind of, like you said, he was just lost. He didn't know. He didn't know what he was. The team didn't know what he was. And good on Ron Hexall to just really take all the pressure off of him and just say, you know what? I know you're a first-round pick, and there are certain expectations, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with being a first-round pick no matter where in the first round you're taken. So for Ron Hexall to just be like, look, just go and play, and just don't – we don't want you, we don't need you to be a top-six guy anymore. We have enough players that we believe can fill that role. We just want you to go out and play and just – Play to your strengths, play to your abilities, and that's what he's done. And you're seeing a very good and a very young and ambitious fourth line where every time they're on the ice, they're trying to make plays. They're not just out there eating up minutes and giving the rest of the guys a break. They're When they're out there, their mindset is, we want to score goals. We want to be the best fourth line or whatever in hockey. We want to be actual producers for this team. We don't want to just be the cast-offs. We don't just want to be the throwaways. We know we have talent. We know we have skill. And we want to show it to our teammates, the fans, and the league. And so far, that's what they're doing. 
what they've done as a line, as a fourth line, is you can't really, you can't be any happier with what they've done because a fourth line, you don't expect anything. And it's been from game one in San Jose. They jump off, they jump off the screen to you when you're watching. You're just like, holy hell, check this line out. Their legs never stop moving. They're always going after the puck. They're always trying to generate some kind of offense. They're always trying to make some kind of play. And you can't be any more excited from what you're seeing from that line in particular. It, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's uh, we, after, I think because of what we had to deal with the last few years with Pierre-Edward Belmar and Chris Vandevelde and whatever else they had on the wing with that line, it's like we've, we're so used to having this fourth line that is just completely impotent and can't do anything. And we go from that to having this fourth line with Michael Roffel, who put on 15 pounds of muscle and has been a force in the offensive zone, even if he's underappreciated by the coaching staff, but he's got a great role on that line. And Scott Lawn and Taylor Lear, who are two young, fast players who can generate offense. It's, uh, it's, it's really been great to see. Um, and, you know, and again, up and down this lineup, there's so much team speed that uh, they're, they're going to give other teams fits. I mean, look, I, they had a really tough stretch to open the season where they, they you know, had to play against San Jose in their home opener, which they won. Then the Kings, a night later in their home opener, and they, they couldn't score a goal in that game, and the Flyers lost 2 nothing. Then they go into Anaheim, uh, and they beat the Ducks 3-2 to in overtime. And then they've got another home opener against the Western Conference champion, Nashville Predators. So then they come home and they drub the cap. So, you, you know, the Flyers are definitely been playing better than their 3-2 to record illustrates. And now they've got a stretch where they're home against Florida tomorrow. They're home against Nashville on Thursday. Then they're home against Edmonton Saturday. And then home against Anaheim on, on uh, you know, the next Tuesday. So they've got four home games in a row. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be surprised if they don't win three of those games. Um, and, they're look, they're in a really good spot. I mean, they're uh, the funny thing is that the NHL is so tough that they're if the season ended right now, obviously it's way early. They wouldn't be in the playoffs, right? So right. You've, you've just – you have to – which is one of the concerning things about having Dave Haxall as the coach, because you know he's going to make a number of bad decisions over the course of the season, which are going to negatively impact the team. And in a scenario where every point matters, to make the playoffs, you know, you can't be giving away points. But they're clearly a very talented team, and they're clearly going to be challenging for a playoff spot all season long. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Well, I mean, it took the Flyers about, was it 2017? Lockout was in 04. Four, so it took them about 13 years to finally catch up with the speed of this new NHL. Um, but it's fun to watch. It's fun hockey, definitely. And I'm very glad. See, I didn't when they when I looked at the schedule, and as we got closer to the season starting, I thought, damn, they are in a lot of trouble to open this season because of all the West Coast games they had to start of all the Western Conference teams they were playing. And we're not talking, like, the bottom rung of the Western Conference ladder. We're talking about, like, the the, the top-tier Western Conference teams we're going up against. The, the San Jose's, Nashville twice, Anaheim twice, L.A. L- and L.A. still has one of the best goalies in the league in Jonathan Quick, and he showed that in that second game, and that's the majority of the reason why they couldn't get why they didn't score a goal and why they didn't get that win. But I'm glad that now that we're in the thick of it, now that we're going forward with the season, I'm I'm glad that these Western Conference teams, these Western Conference games are getting out of the way early because I think a it's helping the team build chemistry because they were on the road to start the season for 2 weeks. B, they're playing tough teams so they're having to play to a different level of competition than than they would normally, you know, usually you start, you don't expect to start the season against the best a conference has to offer. So they're really being able to show themselves what they can do and how high of a level they can play at. And I mean, it's just, it's just a good test for them as a whole. And one thing we haven't really talked about, and that's the goaltending. And I think a lot of people were nervous 
about this 1A, 1B situation with Brian Elliott and Michael Neuberth, but I think they've played well. They're definitely keeping them in games. Uh, the Nashville game comes to mind. Elliott started in that. I think he led in a lot of soft goals, but I think uh, a few of them, at least two, were just defensive breakdowns by the guys in front, and we've seen that a number of times over you know, the last two to three years. Uh, usually it was Steve Mason in net, and then, you know, it is what it is with him. But I think Brian Elliott has played better than people expected. He's obviously not the guy he was with St. Louis a couple of years ago, but he's played well enough for the Flyers to get some wins in front of him. And Michael Norvitz just kind of is what he is. We know what we're getting with him. But I think now that they're getting these big chunk of tough teams out of the way, it's going to help them moving forward, obviously, because... Not that the competition is going to get worse, but these are just games that they're not going to have to worry about later in the season when they are trying to make this push for the playoffs. And these games against these tough teams and playing the way they are, it just builds good team chemistry with so many young guys. Now they're showing they're showing themselves like, look, we can play with these teams. Yes, we have a lot of young guys. We have a lot of rookies, but we all can play to a high enough level to compete with the best teams in this league. And that's encouraging if you're a Flyers fan. It's encouraging if you're one of the players, if you're one of the coaches, whomever. It's just good to know that moving forward, I honestly believe this team is only going to get better as the season progresses because they're going to be more and more comfortable playing with each other. The rookies are going to be more and more comfortable playing in the league. So I think, uh, to me, it was hard for me to say the Flyers were going to make the playoffs before this season. But judging how they've played this tough stretch of games. I think if they stay on the course that they are right now, and if Dave Haxall can somehow pull his head at least halfway out of his ass, then they have a better shot than I thought of making the playoffs. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'd say two weeks before the season, I would have said, yes, they're going to make the playoffs. And then the closer you get to the season, it seemed like Haxtell was sort of screwing everything up. Lindblom gets sent down. Um, you know, who knew who who knew what was going on with the rookie defenseman? Sanheim wasn't playing opening game. And at that point, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe we're not going to make the playoffs because of all these decisions. Now it looks like the team is good enough where I think I'm back in the, um, you know, I'd say 55% they make it, 45% they don't. You mentioned the goalies. You know what's funny is that well, one of the things that Haxtell has kind of been uh, maligned for is that he'll pick – It's they, they've had platoons with the goalies, but uh, he'll ride one for a number of games in a row, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even though Neuwirth and Mason would end up playing relatively around the same amount of games during the season, um, he'd play one 11 games in a row. Then he'd play the other one 10 games in a row, and it's just sort of infuriating because that's how guys get injured. Well, it's early, but he seems to be doing that again because uh, Michael Neuwirth, I believe, has only played in one game so far. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, that was the game against the Kings. That was probably the best game that any Flyers goaltender played so far this season was Neuwirth. And after his horrible season last year, you had to expect him to rebound. Brian Elliott, uh, Kyle Filippi, who just joined up with Phileas Flyer, was a great free agent acquisition for our website, wrote boom. a yeah, boom, exactly, wrote a really nice piece on Brian Elliott. You can go to the website and check out phileasflyer.com. And um, that's a plug. Sh- sh- showed, that's a plug right there. And he showed that uh, that Elliott could sort of is up and down, but in the end, you pretty much know what you're going to get from him. And yeah, so far, he, he was not great against Nashville. Um, but as I already mentioned, I knew we were going to lose that game, so they were going to find a way to lose. But yeah, Elliott's looked pretty good. Neuwirth, his one game, he, he looked phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I think the one concern is that Haxtell just is not good at, at goalie usage. He's just going to ride one guy into the ground until he gets injured and then go with the other guy. And I'd expect to see some of Alex Lyon this year in a Flyers uniform backing up whichever goalie is not injured. Um, I just don't think Hacksaw likes Michael Neuwirth that much because we saw even last year, for whatever reason, he just doesn't like him because even last year when they had Steve Mason, he just, it, you're right. It was kind of the same thing when 
they were riding a quote-unquote hot goalie when, but usually when it's like Steve Mason getting hot, he's more lukewarm. Um, when they're riding a lukewarm goalie, it's never Michael Neuberth. It's always just, mm. all right, well, the guy that I really like needs a break, so I'll throw him in. I'll throw Neuberth in there for a game, and then, you know, after that, I'll just, I'll bench him again for another 10. But you're right. The best goaltending performance we've seen this season, I guess outside of Saturday against Washington, was in that game against the Kings. And I think that, Dave Axel just kind of looks at it as like a bottom line type of thing. Like, we lost the game. It has to be the goalie's fault, so I'm not going to play him. So that's that, – and that's we haven't seen him since. And maybe we'll see him tomorrow. Maybe we won't. Who the hell knows? You never know with this team and this coach what's going to happen on a game-to-game basis. It's almost like he just puts both pictures of the goalies up in front of him in his office, spins around a couple times, and throws a dart. And then that's just it. That's who's starting. And if it's Brian Elliott or Steve Mason, then that's who he's starting for the next month. And Michael Norworth. No wonder Michael Norworth gets hurt so much because he's never he's never in a friggin' game. It's well, I think I don't know. See, here's the thing. I I think a lot of Flyers fans think that um, Hackstall loves Michael Norworth. And you know, last year everyone thought Mason was the starter going into the season, and Hackstall started Neuvert in the first game and then they extend Michael Neuvert to a contract extension and let Mason go. So I'm not so sure that, that Dave Hextall doesn't really like Michael Neuvert. Maybe Hextall went out and he signed Brian Elliott and sort of basically told Dave Hextall, this is the guy that I want to play more than Neuvert. Um, but I, you know, I, I think Hextall likes Neuvert a lot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we we start seeing more and more of him as the season goes on. But I I don't know. I just, again, I think it's sometimes impossible to figure out what this head coach is doing. If And I, I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. If somehow Ron Hextall is pulling strings when it comes to this lineup, that's not a good thing. It's not like a good thing to have happen when your general manager is whispering in the ear of the head coach, I went out and got Brian Elliott, so I want you to play Brian Elliott. And, I mean, you said it earlier, you used the word earlier, insubordination, when it comes to Travis Sanheim sitting the bench for all the games that he has. Maybe maybe Ron Hextall is telling, or is trying to tell Dave Hextall what to do, and Dave Hextall is just being defiant and doing the exact opposite to prove that it's his team, and Ron Hextall needs to stay in his lane. Well, that's not going to... Uh... That no. mentality will not keep Dave Hextall employed. But again, we don't know exactly what the mentality is. I just know that Hextall's not going to let Travis Sanheim sit in the penalty box for too, or the press box for too much longer. He's he's either going to be in the lineup or he's going to get sent down. I don't think he wants him in the penalty box either. But no. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it would be awesome if we heard like if like one day there was just like a tweet that Ron Hextall you know, like went into some PTSD type shit and just like hurled a hockey stick across the locker room at Dave Haxtell and then just took him out. That's what we all want. Uh, of course, there would be no I, I'm, video not gonna advoc- I'm not advocating any violence. Oh, I am. Why not? <laughs> if it's going to mean we win games, then let violence happen. Look at, well, I don't want to bring up Ray Emery because all that he's going through, but I mean, look what it's, you know, it was a guy that, you know, he didn't like Braden Holpe, just went across the ice, pounded his face in. Sometimes you need that. It, it sparks the team. Didn't do much that year, but you never know. Point is, yeah. and we had a conversation in the Phileas Flyer group chat, um, like, it's, it's the unknown structure, the unknown chain of command when it comes to the front office of this team. Like, who is Ron Hexall exactly answering to? I I think that uh, the bottom line is that we as Flyers fans have to hope that Ron Hextall has got it all figured out. And, um, you know, because I don't think that there's probably too much accountability upwards for Ron Hextall at this point. I think if the Flyers miss the playoffs this year and next year, that maybe mm. someone from Comcast comes in and there's... Uh, you know, some 
accountability issues for Hextall. But you know, I don't listen. I don't. I don't think there's any any anyone above Ron Hextall right now who's putting pressure on him. So I think we have to uh, we have to hope that Ron Hextall knows what he's doing. Is it safe to say we have to trust the process? Oh man, such an overused term. But well, now yes, it is. The Sixers beat it to death. Every time I yes. hear the word process, I want to throw up. <laughs> But, but yeah, in a certain sense, we have to trust Ron Exdahl is what we have to trust. If if we uh, if we want to believe that this team is um, you know going to keep getting better and better, and look, he's done such a good job in the draft and retaining young players that you could put a freaking monkey behind the the, the uh, bench and just banging on a you know banging on a, a chalkboard. Drum putting up yeah banging on a drum to figure out what the lines are going to be and this team's going to keep getting better because of the young players that are going to be forcing their way in the lineup so you know the look the, things are going to keep getting better but uh but if we're going to win a stanley cup we probably you know dave Haxtell's going to have to either go or figure out how to get over um his ego there's like certain things being a flyers fan that to this day i can't get over one of them being the what I consider the worst trade in the history of the NHL when they traded Patrick Sharp to Chicago for Ben Eager. That's number one. We'll never get over that. I will never get over the fact that they, I mean, and the Flyers had nothing to do with this, but the Blackhawks took Patrick Kane before we did. We got JBR, no longer here. And I may... When all is said and done, and when Dave Haxel is ultimately fired, be it after this year or after the following year, I will never get over the fact that Mike Babcock was a free agent head coach and the Flyers didn't do everything they had to do to bring him in to coach this team and to coach these young players, and they got Dave friggin' Haxtall instead. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's a lot of... uh... (laughs) all these coaches make questionable decisions. Mitch Marner's skated on the fourth line for the Toronto Maple Leafs in practice today. Like, is that going to happen in a game? Like people are going crazy in Toronto. Um, you know, Vancouver who stinks has not been playing, uh, you know, Brock Besser was supposed to be a rookie of the year candidate. It's all these coaches are weird when it comes to rookies. Now, Dave Haxtell is, you know, has made bad decision upon bad decision, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I like Mike, Mike Babcock. Um, I don't mind that Hextall took a chance. I think Chris Knobloch seems like a pretty pretty sharp guy, and mm-hmm. and I wouldn't mind seeing him get a shot at the head coaching gig someday, but we'll see. I just hope it's not. I, if Hextall leaves, well, when he leaves, I just, I'm tired of these, like, I'm tired of my coaches in the sports teams that I follow taking chances, or I'm sorry, the general managers taking chances with these coaches. Like, what what's wrong with just getting a guy that's been there, done that, and knows what the hell to do in the in the professional ranks? Why do we have to keep taking chances with guys like Chuck Knobloch or Chris Knobloch? Chuck Knobloch was the baseball player. He seems like a good enough guy. He seems like he knows the game, but like I don't want to go from one project head coach to another project head coach when if. If he get if it's like two years from now, that means the team's gonna be two years better, two years more experience. So I, that's what I would want that want to see them bring in an experienced head coach to put this team over the top and put them in Stanley Cup contention and Stanley Cup conversation. Now, really, when it all breaks down, none of this matters, and the fact that we're talking about the next head coach, a is. It it just it speaks volumes to how we feel about the current head coach, and B it's kind of irrelevant because nothing's going to happen till at least June, right? So yeah, and again we'll see what happens if the Flyers make the playoffs this year, which all of us hope, obviously. Then you know that's going to also go against our hopes that this head coach isn't here. So you know I think we just have to root for the team to succeed and air our grievances against Dave Haxtell and have trust in our GM to uh to work things out yeah all right well from right now it is a monday night from now until next monday night when we fire up the old microphones again there are three games for the philadelphia flyers all three at home 
Florida on Tuesday, Nashville on Thursday, and Edmonton on Saturday, an afternoon tilt with the Oilers. And if there's ever a game this season that I want Brandon Manning to play, it is the one on Saturday against Edmonton <laughs> for obvious reasons. But I will allow you to go first, and we'll, maybe we'll do this every week. Um, your picks for those three games, Florida Tuesday, Nashville Thursday, Edmonton on Saturday. I think the Flyers are going to win all three games. Woo-hoo-hoo! I think, uh, yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's three three very winnable games at home. We should absolutely beat the Panthers tomorrow night. Nashville is kind of like a revenge game. Uh, I think we'll beat them, and I think everyone's going to be amped up for Connor McDavid and Edmonton. Look, Edmonton's off to a rough start this year. I think they're one and four. So you know, I, I think the Flyers are going to win all three games. I think. Let's say uh, Elliott plays Tuesday, then Neuvert comes in. I think Neuvert's going to shut out Nashville on Thursday. How do you like that? I think Holy we're going to shut hell. out. Yeah, I think we're going to shut out Nashville, and then uh, I think we'll beat Edmonton in uh, in overtime. I think I could see a uh, a ghost bomb in overtime for the Flyers on Saturday. So I think we're going to get. Uh, I think we're going to get a clean sweep. You got me fired up. Shutting out Nashville. I'll take now, remember, I think my predictions were spot on last week. I think I predicted that we were going to beat Anaheim in overtime, and then I predicted we were going to lose to Nashville. You did. I picked the exact opposite of what <laughs> happened. Of what well, you please said. don't do that this week. Well, I'm going to pick the opposite and then hope it just happens uh, again. That's true. It's true. So, um, uh, damn, that game on Saturday might be one worth going to. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to my buddy's bachelor party. We're going to a horse track in Kentucky. Otherwise, I would definitely be there. I hear Kentucky is a great time. Yeah, I lived there. I lived there for a summer. It was definitely a lot of fun. Um, I work in the horse racing industry now, so all the guys for the bachelor party are probably a little more fired up to go to the track than I am because <laughs> I work at the track. But it's still yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I definitely would have been at that game. No question. I hear the women in Kentucky are, like, top-notch in terms of, like, nationally, they're, like, in the top five. Well, you know, I, uh, I, there, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, beautiful blonde women there, you know? Um, nice. So. All right, we'll leave it at that. I don't want, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to that game. But I think Florida, I'm going to give two out of three. I'm going to take Florida and I'm going to take Nashville as wins because a, I want them to beat the balls off of Nashville on Thursday just because of what happened last time. I Florida. I just don't think is that good. They lost the, the ageless wonder Yarmir Yager. And, uh, I don't know. I just think I'm just going to give it to Edmonton because why not? They're a pretty good team. Connor McDavid is obviously one of the three good best player. players in the league. He's hard to stop, even if his dad, Brandon Manning, is playing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, so I'll go. I'll go two out of three: Florida and Nashville, and then Edmonton. Whether I'm there or not, I'm going to take that as a loss. If I go, I think that's a good like. You go. You start. You start on the beer at like eleven, and then uh. All, all types of crazy stuff can happen in the day when you start. When you start, you never know. On Friday, a. we're going to be going to seven different bourbon distilleries in uh, in Kentucky. So I may not actually make it to Saturday. So you may be doing next Monday's show solo, my friend. We're going to have to get a detailed like update of how this trip goes because now I'm intrigued. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> I would have had no idea if you didn't just say that. But yeah. Seven different distilleries and then a horse track the next day. Um, that makes for a pretty damn good bachelor party, and uh, maybe you'll get maybe you'll get a hangover type situation going. That that could be cool. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, you know start start the day in um, Kentucky and wake up in Vegas. Who knows? Hmm. You never know what can happen. Maybe the Knights play on Saturday. You could go see them. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Well. Since you are obviously the plug master, go ahead and plug yourself, plug the site, and uh, plug anything else you want to plug. 
Oh, I'm, I'm going to plug away. Uh, yeah, phillyisflyer.com. We've got a great site. We've got tons of articles. I put up a new article uh, this weekend um, projecting what the Flyers roster would look like in 2019 2020. Mm. So, for all the Flyers fans that are just sick and tired of seeing Andrew McDonald and Dale Weiss and Brandon Manning in the lineup night after night, Take a look at my article. It uh, it'll probably make you feel a little better. None of those guys in their own, are in the lineup. Your Spoiler boy, alert. Philippe, yeah, your boy Philippe Myers, who scored his first professional goal for oh, the so Phantoms good. of Lehigh Valley, so uh, scored his first professional goal Sunday. He is uh, on the top pair in that projected roster in two years. So take mm-hmm. a look at that. Take a look at all the other great articles up there at phillyisflyer.com. And of course, on Twitter, you are was that at D Silver eighty eight? Correct. There you go, at D Silver eighty eight eighty eight. Not for my birth year, but for the great Eric Lindros, soon to be retired, both with the Flyers and on Twitter. <laughs> um, as for myself, and as for this wonderful show, I am on Twitter at Mark Flagman, and uh, this show that's with two ends, and the show is at underscore getting bullied uh we are not grammatically correct there is no g in getting uh so that's nice i do not write for philia's flyer because that's just not my style i don't i don't know commas and stuff but uh check those guys out obviously they're top notch they're top end top tier if you're starting a fantasy team they're on the first line uh when it comes to covering the flyers and uh, there's a bunch of great guys, and Dan writes for them as well, so you should just check out his stuff. Spoiler alert, again, his um, his projected lineup does not have Andrew McDonald, so that should make you happy. But, Dan, you you uh, you want to do it again next week? Have I scared you off? I'm in. I'm in. Absolutely. All right, all fun, fun as always, Mark. It sure was. A lot more surprises. Uh, follow on Twitter so you can see what's cut, what's in store for not only this week, but the rest of the year when it comes to this show and the website. So until next week, let's go Flyers.